You're listening to Radio Influence. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and as always, we are so glad that you are here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. And uh, looking forward to talking to a man who just recently, knock on wood, has beaten throat cancer. One half of the legendary tag team of the 80s and 90s, the Fantastics. I'm talking about Bobby Fulton. He's going to be telling some stories and about his career, different territories, working uh, uh, in the, the, the territory day how the team was put together and uh and all that kind of good stuff so it should be an interesting uh conversation to listen to and we hope you enjoy it want to mention that next week we will be talking about slammiversary which is july 18th on pay-per-view impact wrestling and it's getting a lot of buzz a lot of buzz if the rumors are true look out folks so we're going to be talking to madison rain who uh, five times knockout champion uh, got thrust into the role as color commentator, although she had done a little bit of guest stuff uh, uh, as a woman, uh, you know, a person in the women's division uh, doing stuff as like a third person in the booth for a match or two. But uh, because of the coronavirus and because she happens to be married and lives with the play-by-play announcer uh, and because Don Callis, who was the color commentator, couldn't leave Canada for the longest time and still probably prefers not to unless he has to. Um, she got thrown in there. And uh, I got thrown in there for that one one hour episode of uh, the revisited TNA that we did to uh, to hype the pay-per-view that ever was that was supposed to be WrestleMania weekend, the TNA reunion. There's no place like home. And um, it's not easy. It's uh, That was one hour went by very quickly, but it's still, uh, when you're not used to doing that, it's not just something you could turn on and off. And I think she does a fantastic job. So we'll talk to Madison Rain next week on this podcast. By the way, if you don't follow me on Twitter, be sure to, I'm getting close to 4,000. So put me over the, put me over the 4K mark. At David Penzer, all one word. Don't talk politics. We talk wrestling. We talk a little fantasy sports. I was talking recently on Twitter this past week about The Princess Bride, my favorite movie of all time. And if there's ever a movie that should never, ever, ever be remade, and I love remakes, but if there's one that should never be remade, it was The Princess Bride. So I heard they were remaking it, and I was a little worried. Uh, but turns out it was uh, kind of virtual. Uh, where actors in Hollywood uh, were reprising the role, sort of as a uh, uh, sort of as paying tribute, uh, but you know it's not a bunch of people together in scenes reprising the thing. It's their individuals, and it's cut together virtually, like pretty much everything we have now. All the news anchors are doing the news from their house, and uh, and so that's the world we live in. And um, uh, looks like it's going to be that way for a while. Just hope we get baseball going. I hope we get football going. So I could uh, win my fantasy league again, knock on wood, and uh, and I don't even care if people can't sit in the seats. But it, uh, I know that um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where I live here, are going to be pretty dejected that they just sold out their season tickets with Tom Brady and uh, Rob Gronkowski joining the team if uh, they can't put people in the seats. But it is what it is, and everybody's had to sacrifice. So I just hope we have some sort of fantasy football. I need that in my life. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let me bring up a man who I could 
honestly and proudly say has beaten cancer. Thank God, taking too many people that I know both in the business and outside the business. So I'm so glad that he's won the battle and we wish him the best. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce my guest, one half of the legendary tag team, the Fantastics, along with Tommy Rogers, who's no longer with us. Unfortunately, we'll talk about him as well. I'm talking about Bobby Fulton. Welcome to City Ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, so many legendary tag teams in the 1980s and 90s, just to name a few, the Road Warriors, the Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express. And my next guest was at the helm of one of the great tag teams of that era. He is Bobby Fulton, one half of the legendary tag teams, the Fantastics. Bobby, welcome to Sitting Ringside. Thank you so much, David, for having me. I'm excited to be on your program. And like you said, the 80s was magical when it came to <laughs> tag team wrestling. I bet, I bet, I bet. And, uh, yeah, we're going to get to that. But before we uh, tell some wrestling stories, um, thank God, knock on wood, um, you recently uh, 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 looks like you beat cancer, uh, throat cancer. We had Tracy Smothers on a couple of uh, about a month and a half ago. He seems to be doing all right, knock on wood. So. Hearing hearing positive stories, but just wanted to give you a chance to tell your story for people that might be going through something like that. I appreciate it. You know, David, I, uh, as a matter of fact, I was getting ready to get shoulder surgery from years on the ring and stuff. My shoulder needed to be done, and I had that appointment set for December the 20th of uh, of, uh, 2019, and uh, all of a sudden, I knew I'd been having some problems with my throat. Kept going to the doctor, and he kept telling me, you got strep throat or chew your food or this and that. Well, uh, right, uh, probably about a week before I was supposed to have my shoulder surgery, I finally fought to get to another doctor, a specialist. Thank God. And that specialist was able to tell me yes, because the other doctor, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't willing to send me somewhere because I knew, you know, you can only take so many shots and so many times to tell a uh, near 60-year-old man, chew your food better. <laughs> but it ended up being I had a huge tumor. As a matter of fact, my oh son my seen it, and he said it was the size of a baked potato in my throat. Oh, my goodness. If you can imagine. And it had started swelling out towards my ear area and stuff, and it had, it had went down across my tongue, right, right across my voice box, but didn't touch my voice box. Went down into some lymph nodes, but thank God, uh, I'll tell you what, though, I, I when when it first started when it first started going on, I had uh, thought, man, I, I can get through this, but but the chemo and the radiation, it just about. Uh, I was just at the doctor Tuesday, and for the second time, they said we had to nearly kill you to heal you, and that's what the chemo and the radiation does, destroys everything. You try to get rid of the bad so that you can make a comeback, so to speak. Uh. So what stage was the, the cancer when you got uh, diagnosed? Well, <clears throat> it was stage two. And then when I tell you what I'm about to tell you, they said if it had been two years ago, for some reason it would have been stage four. And I don't understand what that means, but it was stage two at the point that I, where I was at. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm just thankful to God Almighty that uh, I was able to fight. Well, I did, David. I, I got nose to nose with that doctor that one sent me to a specialist. Because I needed a referral. Sure. And uh, finally, they gave me a referral, and it got the ball rolling. 
Well, thank God they caught it, and thank God that you're okay. And yeah. uh, I yeah. I've, I've talked to Tracy about this, Mickey J, who battled, uh, who continues to battle cancer successfully, thank God, and um, and who also recently lost his mother. So thoughts and prayers to Mickey J, right, who was right, right, a friend right, of the right. show for sure. Um, but, how, you know, you're a fighter, man. You're wrestling business, driving up and down the road, town to town, you know, uh, sure. fighting fighting for your life. When 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 a sure. doctor tell when a doctor tells you that how, how you know what what's your thoughts because I I think I I've said this before I think I'd crawl in uh, crawl into bed with a bottle of vodka and curl up in the fetal position but you know well here yeah go ahead I'm sorry no 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 I'm just saying you know it seems like instinct takes over uh, in those times for most people yeah my son Jaron was with me he's 18 years old. And the reason why I kind of stepped on you when you were talking, because I was thinking about my son. They went out when I was, they, they put me out to check me, right? They right. went out and told him, said, we want you to tell your dad he has throat cancer. My son went ballistic. He started screaming, going nuts. He tried to call my, young, my younger brother that's 20 years younger than me, but he didn't answer. Finally, he got in touch with the pastor, and my son was just going berserk because he said, how can I tell my dad, that he has throat cancer. How can I do that? He said, look at me. My son had lost it. You know, because why, why, hold on. Why didn't, why didn't the doctor just tell you? I don't know, but the doctor ended up coming in and being the one to tell me. Well, thank God. I guess she just said, do you, when she came in and told me, said, you got cancer, you got throat cancer. And, um, and, uh, and I, and I tell you what, for some reason, it was so surreal, David. It wasn't that I wanted to curl up in a, in a, in, a, in a fetal position with a bottle of vodka, it was just so surreal. It was almost like it wasn't true. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And it was almost like it was a, a, a make believe. Well, geez, I don't. I can't imagine why a doctor would put that on a kid. That's crazy. But uh, it sounds like there's some, sounds like moments. there's some sounds like there's some kooky doctors up in Ohio and uh, your neck of the yeah, woods. Yeah, there is. <laughs> As a matter of fact, in my neck of the woods, telecopy, and that's why I told them. I want to go to Columbus, to hey. James Cancer Center, and I went there, and uh, they they really treated me right. It was like my son said; it was a difference of being in a room in the dark while the doctor's talking to you, and being in a room with a light on when the doctor's talking to you. And that's why we chose that hospital, and that's why I'm cancer free right now. Thank God. Yes, thank God, and glad to hear it. And thank you for telling your story. Um, thank I know you. I know you got in the business back in the territory days, um, right there in Ohio. And, um, I saw that one of the first territories you went to work for was uh, Nick Goulas. And it's always fun <laughs> asking wrestlers about to tell some stories about the and, and reminisce about the Nick Goulas days, because, uh, everybody yeah. has a Nick Goulas story or two. So tell me yours. Right. Well, well, you know, when I broke in the business, when I broke in the business, they really didn't want people in the wrestling business. There was no schools or nothing like that. Right. There was, a, there was, and I started setting the ring up for our group and they, they wouldn't let me in the dressing room. They wouldn't talk out of school, David. They took care of the business. You remember how it was back in the day. Yes, sir. We, we, we didn't talk, we didn't talk out of school. We took, so I, I finally broke into wrestling business. And like you said, I was on my way to Nick Goulas' territory. And uh, I remember walking into Nick Goulas' territory, me and Eric Embry. I don't know if you're familiar with his name. Yeah, I remember Eric. I remember. And uh, me and him went in there, 
And Nick Gullis was sitting there, and I'd read about him in the magazines and everything because I grew up reading all the magazines. And he looked at me and Eric Emery, and he said, you boys are what we called your bronies. <laughs> I thought that was an I thought that was a compliment. <laughs> Good thing. I kind of like was elbowing Eric, like, yeah, man, we're finally here. He said, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do with you boys. You're Bob Fulton. If you'll be Don Fulton, Tennessee people love brother tag teams, you're gonna be a brother tag team. He said, I'm gonna buy you some new outfits. Well, he went and bought us some new outfits, all right. But the first check, I think I owe him $25. <laughs> so we got our check, and we didn't have nothing. We, 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 I owed him money. But he he was, he was was there was a guy there. That I'd been in Calgary, Alberta, Canada before that. And there was a Japanese guy there named Oshira. And they took Oshira's money because he's here illegally. And I talked to some woman in Amarillo who could speak English because Oshira couldn't speak English. And I would talk to her, and then she would talk to him, and back and forth. And they were paying him his own money that he brought. Lovely. I was going to ask money. you about he your brought, time in Calgary. Uh, okay, okay. But he brought money. Say, for example, if he bought $6,000, right? they told him, you can't put it in the bank because you're here illegally. Give it to us. We'll hold it. And then they paid him that well, extra money to work. Yeah, his, his own money. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty rough. Gotta love territory wrestling. Any other, any better stories yeah. from the Calgary territory? From the Calgary territory? Yeah, I loved it. I was up there with all the hearts. There was a young little guy running around the dressing room, uh, about 11 years old, Owen. Uh, there was, uh, you know, Bret Hart wrestling, Bruce Hart. Uh, Smith Hart would wrestle occasionally. And uh, they had Keith Hart. And then Wayne Hart was the referee. And... Uh, John Foley was there, and the Loch Ness Monster, who later came, was John Haystacks, wrestled a little bit for WCW. The guy oh, the yes. The big, big guy. Yeah, you know Loch, Ness. About, right? Loch, Loch Ness. Loch yes. Ness. Loch how, how do I ever Loch forget Ness. that? Well, listen, t- let me tell you what, what happened to me. I was real young up in Calgary, and John Foley, do you, do you ever hear his name before, John Foley? He yeah, yeah. He was a shooter from England. Yeah, he said, oh, let me tell you, he said, let me tell you something, Bobby. I hope that the Loch Ness Monster, he was called Loch Ness Monster up there, too. He said, I hope the Loch Ness Monster, when he gets in Hawaii, gets into the water so he can take a bath. So I, I kind of laughed and said, yeah, okay. Well, all of a sudden, I'm in the dressing room by myself, and there's only one way out. And I go to leave, and the Loch Ness Monster puts his hand across the door. <laughs> oh, jeez. Bobby Fulton. <laughs> He said, you've been talking about me this and that. So John Foley had done that. But, but one time we were riding down the road in the van and I was, I was sitting with Angel Acevita, who was a Cuban assassin. Len Denton was in the seat before us and the Loch Ness Monster was asleep. So this was kind of after that. And I was up kind of with my fist doubled up, like, come on and fight, man. He was asleep, Loch Ness Monster. But when I looked back at Angel, Len Denton kicked him in the head, the Loch Ness Monster. And we were driving like 100 miles an hour in that van. If anybody's ever talked to you about Calgary, Alberta, you'd have a 500-mile trip. They'd tell you to be at this certain place to leave at 10 in the morning, and they wouldn't get there until 1 in the afternoon, and they'd have to be there by 5. So they'd be driving 100 miles an hour. Well, here we are driving down the road, and that great big Loch Ness monster backhanded me, split my lips. I thought, man, I was going to try to choke him, David, with a towel, but 
I figured I couldn't get it around his neck, you know. Yeah, in WCW, he was sort of past his prime. I actually kind of felt bad for him. Nice enough guy, and right. uh, was was over huge back in 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 the UK. I know uh, right. Dave fin- Dave Finley and Dave Taylor and those guys were telling me how big a star he was. But yeah, it just uh, it's a little bit uh, past his prime and probably didn't sure. shouldn't have been in the position that he was in. But a big guy nonetheless, for sure. So oh, yeah. what? Out of all the territories you worked, uh, we talked about Calgary, Goulas. I was going to ask you, was Bobby Eaton uh, working for Goulas while you were there? Yes. As a matter of fact, I wrestled with me and me and Eric wrestled against him and George Goulas. They were the jet set. The jet set. We were just talking about that. Yeah, they were the jet set. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we wrestled them and and, uh, Bobby was phenomenal even back then, David. You know, he was just a natural. Yeah, a lot of people compare him uh, to the current day, um, like uh, Randy Orton, who just uh, you know, right. I guess I guess took right. to it uh, so so naturally. And a lot of people right. compare him to, to Bobby back in the day. I didn't know sure. Bobby until until uh, I went to WCW. But a uh, great right. guy, and we've talked we've talked uh, about him on this podcast, trying to get him to come on. But you know, Bobby, he doesn't like to talk. So you know, he, he, his action speaks louder than words. Yeah. I saw him at a, I saw him at one of those, uh, uh, conventions and, uh, mm-hmm. I, I said, you know, g- give me your phone number, man. We got to catch up. He said, all right. I said, I got to get you on my podcast. He goes, what's that? I said, you know, just talk, tell wrestling stories. He goes, oh no, 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 no. Erase my number. I said, no, you'll be fine. You'll, he said, I said, you'll be fine. Just like me, you and Pee Wee driving down the road back right. in the old days. Right, you know? right, and, uh, right, right, right. And, and, um, so, uh, so yeah, um, they. Uh, but yeah, now he won't. He won't uh, answer the phone when I call. He won't return my text messages. You know, Bobby, because he doesn't want to say no. So personal. No, yeah. no, he doesn't want to say no. So he's just not gonna. He's just not gonna. No, no, not personal at all. I love Bobby. Every time I see Bobby, I give him a big hug. Yeah. When I first got in the yeah. business, I was riding with Pee Wee uh, Anderson, the referee, right. and Bobby. Oh yeah. And they had me convinced that Bobby couldn't read. To, I mean, to the point where, to the point where, like Pee Wee would read the menu to him if we stopped at like a Denny's or like a Waffle House right, or something, right, right, and then uh, right. and tell him what the different stuff was, or he, or Bobby would say he, uh, he, you know, he, he was looking at the pictures. Uh, so they had <laughs> after about two weeks, they had me convinced that he couldn't read, and and then they they smartened me up, obviously, because no fun to 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 rib you if you're right. Keep on doing it. Anyway, out of all the territories that you work, which one was your favorite? Did you have a favorite? Well, you know what? I'll tell you. That's like somebody asking me where I like living. Each place had its great special stuff, and it had some stuff that was against it. But I, I, I loved all of them because, David, it was a dream of mine to become a professional wrestler from the time I was seven years old. So I really enjoyed all the territories because it was a learning experience for me. And I'm not trying to take the baby face way out of it, but it's the truth. <laughs> But one of the one of my favorite places was probably when I first got my first break was the San Antonio territory for Joe Blanchard. I love that territory, and I guess because, like I said, it was the first time I got a break in the business, and uh, it was just a special time and a special place. You know, I love San Antonio. What a great territory! That was more of a like a blood and guts and brawl territory, correct? Yeah. Especially back then, because Luke Williams was the booker, oh, and uh, the Sheep Herders was the uh, team to beat. And uh, we, uh, I, I, when I went in there, I started wrestling with Adrian Street right off the bat with a feud with him, and then later on with Eric Embry, and we had the 
first scaffold match in uh, Texas, but uh, and then then I became the Fantastic. But it was a great territory for me. I, I love them all. Don't get me wrong, but it was just special. And I guess because it was the first time I got a chance to get a break in the business, you know. And one of the more famous, Matt. We're jumping a little bit uh, ahead, but one of the okay. more famous. One of the more famous matches that you and Tommy had as the Fantastics was against the Sheep Herders, I believe, in Bill Watts territory, the UWF. Correct? Yes, we had a we had a we had thirty seven barbed wire cage matches in oh, a row, thirty-seven nights. Hey, when you say that, when you say that, throat cancer ain't nothing, Bobby. No, I know, I know, I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But well, hey, no, I'm going to tell you. And, and and look, if you've worked for, I, I laugh with. I just told Ripper Rogers the other day. If you if you work for Nick Gullis and made it, you can whip anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that I mean that tongue in cheek, but also truly too. I mean, you, you know how the wrestling business is. I I <laughs> you have to deal with a lot of different people and a lot of different personalities. That's for sure. So thirty-seven barbed wire steel cage matches against the uh, the sheep herders. Yes, yes. My 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 place. I had bloody wrestling trunks everywhere. Our, our heads looked like uh, uh, Dusty Rhodes' head and the original Sheik's head and everything. And it was just, it was just, but you know what it did, David? Those type of matches helped me and Tommy get over more because we were the baby-faced, white meat-type tag team. So we had all the women's support, but oftentimes the guys didn't get behind us. But when they seen us in matches like that, that's when the guys really got behind us. So these guys are willing to fight. They're willing to believe. One of our most famous matches with the Sheep Herders was, a, was at a Crockett Cup in New Orleans. That's the one I was talking about, top, yeah. Yep. Yeah, every top tag team in the world was there. And I had so many people tell me, and I'm not just saying it because it's me, but I had so many people say that our match stole the show. And oh, yeah. That was that was that was really something special because, like I said, every tag team, and in the eighties, I mean, they had guys from all over the place there. Right, and every territory. That just really meant a lot. Yes, sir. Yeah, yes, we sir. had we had uh, Luke on the show uh, last year, and and he he talked about it right. fondly as well. He brought it. He actually brought it up. I had never seen it. Uh, I, I had seen mm-hmm. it back in the day, but I hadn't seen it in recent times. So I went right. and watched it afterwards. And you guys really tore down the house. It was tremendous. But uh, thanks, yeah, thanks. Um, we were so, going to redo that. We were going to go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, I was, I was just a, just an afterthought. We were going to redo that at WCW, but then they 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 quit and they went to become the Bushwhackers. But we yeah. were going to redo that whole feud and everything, uh, you know, uh, back then, which I think would have been good. Talk about a crazy career change. You spent 25 years as uh-huh. a crazy, brawling, bloody bushwhack uh, uh, sheep herder. And then you go up there and yeah, start, lick, herder, start yeah. licking people in the, on their heads. And I, I, I think that was probably a much easier gig. But knowing Luke a little yeah. bit, he probably liked the sheep herder gig a little bit better than the bushwhacker gig. I think so. They, they love that. You, you know what? Guys get addicted to that. Yeah. Guys get addicted to that style of wrestling. And they got, they got to have it. You know, uh, and uh, I believe the sheep herders were because, man, they were blood and guts all the way. Like you said, that's San Antonio, Texas. Man, it was unbelievable. They bled like stuck hogs and loved every minute of it. So who put you and Tommy together and, call, and, and named you the Fantastics? How'd that come about? Well, actually, um, the first set of Fantastics were Fantastic Ones, and it was Terry Taylor and I. 
and Bill Dundee and Jerry Jarrett have put us together for a short time in the, in the small territory out of Georgia when uh, when when World Championship Wrestling was going to Ohio and Michigan a lot. Was that that crazy? Not was that those crazy Knoxville tapings that I had never seen until recently? Yes. That that's sure where Cornette got his start, right? Yes, that's right. That's right. That's them. That's them, and that's that time. And then, and so after that, we uh, we went back to Memphis, and then later on, I went to San Antonio and was working in San Antonio, and Tommy Rogers was working for World Championship Wrestling, and the Rock and Roll Express was in Louisiana and red hot. And they were going back to Memphis for 90 days. And they, Bill Dundee had called me, and Bill Watts had called him and asked if we'd come in to be a 90-day replacement team there. Never a team before. And when we got in the ring, it was just magical from the beginning. And like I said, it was just a, supposed to be a 90-day replacement. And there we went into the Mid-South. And uh, when we first got there, it was really rough because we were following the rock and roll just like we had done before. And in Houston, they had all kinds of signs on the wall, bring back the rock and roll. But as we stayed there, we noticed they were coming down and more of our stuff was coming up. So it was just a thing where, you know, uh, I guess we were similar yet different. Same type, you know what I'm saying? White meat, baby face, tag teams, you know, you know, but, sure. uh, that's where we got together at was in Mid-South Wrestling. I Bill swear, Watts Bill, 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 Watts, Bill Watts made more money off of teams that uh, uh, and characters that uh, Bill Dundee and Jerry Jarrett put together than it than probably sure. ideas that he had. It's crazy. I didn't know sure. that. that sure. I didn't know that that was a talent trait as well. I know that's how Rock and Roll was formed, and I know that's how Midnight Express was was, was first got off the ground. That's crazy. So, uh, well, yeah. the original the original Midnight Express was when I met the Midnight Express in Memphis. The Midnight Express was Dennis Condry, Norval Austin, and Randy Rose. Randy Rose, yes. And they came in as a three three man tag team, and then, like you said, it was a talent exchange. You're exactly right. One of the you I know, thought one of the biggest wasted angles WCW ever did, and boy, they wasted a lot of good angles. Was uh, when they brought in Paul Heyman and the original Midnight Express and and, and turned the uh, Midnight Express babyface. Uh, right. I, I I don't know I I think I think Dennis quit or something happened but um one of them quit but uh yeah. but I thought it was or maybe Randy Rose but uh I thought I thought it they had great as a wrestling fan because back then I wasn't involved in the business as purely a mark sure uh I I popped for it huge that was great that was you know you didn't right, see that right, right. see that coming anywhere and then uh, Cornette you know cut that amazing babyface promo saying you know Mama I told Mama you know maybe it's time to go out on my own and. Uh, mm-hmm. and Great stuff, man. Um, so any hesitancy when they gave you the idea? Not that you really had a choice at that point, but any hesitancy in, in doing something that was a, uh, a kind of a knockoff on the Rock and Roll Express, which, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't, of the, I was going to yeah, say, I don't remember which came fabulous first. Ones. Fabulous ones, yeah. So, yeah, it was a knockoff of a knockoff. Yeah, well, here's what happened. Stan and Steve had been working in Memphis, and they were kind of on top, kind of middle of the road, kind of whatever. Well, Jerry Jarrett decided to give him a gimmick, and he was going to turn him heel against Jackie Fargo. Jackie Fargo was so over in Memphis. I was there when I was there when the Rock and Roll got their gimmick. I was in Memphis when Kamala even got his gimmick. Kamala couldn't even get a job nowhere. He came to the Memphis Med South Coliseum just to visit everybody, and Jerry Lawler got to looking at him, and all of a sudden he painted him up, and made him Kamala. So 
Didn't they film those? Didn't they film those videos in Jerry Jarrett's backyard that was supposed to be from yes, the forest in yes. Africa? <laughs> yes, yes. And and later on, you ever heard of the hippie Mike Boy yet? I've heard of him, yeah. Well, he, he had came into the territory, and they filmed vignettes of him, and he was called Apocalypse. And he about killed himself and this and that and everything. They done all kinds of stuff. One time they had a guy called Bo to the Witch Doctor, and he <laughs> ran through a polyester sheet on fire. And the sheet stuck to him when he ran through it. Oh, geez. So Memphis, Memphis was a really crazy place. But going back to the fabulous ones and the fantastic, you see a lot of times back then, things wasn't nationwide. So if something worked in a particular part of the country, a promoter was willing to put two other people together and see if it would work. And that, you, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So they gave us, they gave us the gimmick of the fantastics. And, uh, What's ironic is we wrestled the fabulous ones on that show that we wrestled uh, the sheep herders in in New Orleans, Louisiana, and uh, everything. But I was friends with Stan and Steve before, and I don't think there was any animosity on their behalf. You know what I mean? And sure, sometimes, sure. I like today online, you get a, you get people saying, "Well, that, that team was kind of a knockoff team." But you know, David, and you know this business, you're not in control. If the promoter says your name's dangerous, David Penzer, then guess what your name is? Yeah, exactly. No, that's why I said not that you had a choice, but I was just curious no. what your thoughts were. But um, I, I'm not blowing smoke because you're on my podcast or because I'm talking to you. But I think you guys really differentiated yourself from from the Fabs and the Rush. There were some knockoffs that really had a hard time standing out. Like I remember Mike Davis and Tommy Lane, the R- RPMs. Right, I remember the RPMs. They, the they, that was. Yeah, that was almost like for it was almost forced down down your throat. But no, Fantastics really took off on their own, and I think a lot of that was the chemistry that you had with the Midnight Express. How 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 important was the uh, chemistry that you guys had with the Midnight Express? How important was that to you guys getting over as a, as big as you did? It was it was really good when we first well we had wrestled them in Mid South and Dallas, and then later on WCW. And we had phenomenal matches with them. I mean, every night, Arn Anderson came up to me one night and he said, man, he said, it's good. He said, but it's hard to follow you guys. It makes us <laughs> want to work that much harder. To, and I mean, you, you know what I mean, David? If you got a hot match before yours, you got to go out there and kick it in gear. But he told me that. But, uh, yeah, the, the Midnight Express was phenomenal, whether it was Dennis and Bobby, whether it was Dennis and, I mean, Bobby and Stan. And of course, Jimmy being the mouthpiece, it just helped so, so much. We uh, went in there. Dusty told me later on, after we had been in WCW, the first night we went in, we wrestled him in a non-title match, and we beat him. But Dusty told me later, probably a year later, maybe even at one of those fan fests. Yeah. You know how he did a couple of them. Yeah. He said, "Baby, we should have given you the belts right off the bat." Uh-huh. I mean, that's still that's amazing to me. But that still played on his mind. Yeah. He said, no. it should have not been a non-title. It should have been a title match. Isn't that those, amazing? That, that, those matches were incredible, man. Uh, it really, you know, I, 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 I feel for Aaron, who's a, who's a friend of mine. I feel for him uh, having to follow you guys. Because those, I mean, and, and that was back in a totally different time, you know, where the fans really sure. believed it. They hated Jim Cornette yeah. and the Midnight Express. Yeah. They loved you guys. Tons of girls. You know, chanting because you guys were two good-looking guys, and uh, sure. 
and you know, totally different time. But when the people bought, you know, that's the one thing that people may not understand and not to sound like I'm, you know, saying that current wrestling sucks. Cause I'm part of current wrestling. Uh, and what right. I think is an up and coming company, com- uh, company called impact wrestling, which used to be TNA right. making their way back. Right, but, um, right, right. but, but it was, it was different. You know, when people buy in, it was a lot easier. It's a lot easier to, to let the, get the people eating out of your hand. And when you guys could work and you guys four could all work, um, you know, it was just that much easier. Hey, you know, Courtney, you you, you kind of got involved in a in a thing on Twitter. I'm not going to put you on the spot about it with Cornette trying to defend your friend yeah. about something. And yeah. I, 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 I stay away from that stuff. But um, but he recently did a, a podcast following up on the one he did where he explained the allegations and and that that right. that, that you had gotten involved with. And um, you know, talking about a rock and roll lifestyle. I've I've talked to Ricky right. Morton. He was. T- Ricky was telling me some stories um, just without getting yourself in trouble. Cause these are, these are crazy times. Uh, how, how is that? How, how is that, you know, going from town to town and you got, you got a uh, thousand, 1200, 1800 girls waiting for you in the back or going to waiting at the you hotel. Ever, you ever, yeah. You ever heard of Steppenwolf? You ever heard of the song sure. born to be wild? Sure. sure, sure. Well, I, I, I opened up my hotel room one night. And uh, there was girls lined up and down, lined up and down the hallway waiting that they get a chance to be next. And all of a sudden, I looked, and there was John Kay from Steppenwolf sitting there trying to pick those girls up. <laughs> a rock star. <laughs> I thought, I thought, man, I listened to them. I love, you know, Born <laughs> to Be Wild and Magic Carpet Ride, and here John Kay is Steppenwolf. Here, trying to pick up these girls, you know, like you said, it was a totally different area. Era. You should have thrown. You should have thrown him. You should have thrown him. You know, one of the fans and just, uh, you know. Yeah, good- yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But hey, uh, you know, it was it was a wild and crazy time. And it, it was, and it was, and like Cornette talks about, and I, 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 you know, I, I, I was married when I got in the business, so I, I didn't right. really, you know do that but um okay. but i i saw i saw a lot of it and um especially with the young baby faces like you guys and rock and roll and all the different you know young baby faces joe gomez back in the day and uh yeah uh, joey mags even and um uh, yeah so um hey, I, I want, let, let me say this sure it wasn't just at the wrestling arena i i would be i would be at a gas station and a woman might not know who i was and she would say i don't know who you are but I know you're somebody. <laughs> and it was just like that constantly. As a matter of fact, me and Tommy almost got fired for WCW. And this is what happened. We were driving up Interstate 85, coming back from Greensboro back to Charlotte. And we had a bunch of carloads of girls chasing us. And finally, we got so mad because they were about to wreck us. You know, I mean, you're driving and this and that. And, and they called the wrestling office the next day. And, and, and they called us in. And told us, said you, you can't, you can't be mean to these people. And we said, we're not. They're about to kill us on the road. <laughs> I mean, but that's how strong it was. You know, it wasn't the idea that the wrestlers was chasing the w- girls. It was the girls chasing the wrestlers. And that's the point that Cornette was making. And I want to put a period at the end of that sentence because, like I said, you know, the, there's a, a speaking out movement. I totally, uh, totally. Uh, uh, respect and um admire the the girls that are coming out 
now who's who've had issues and those who have done right. that to them, you know, they, they just have to pay the price. And uh, right. that's that's life. But I, I wanted to put, you know, put an underline on this, that it was different times. And the most more important thing is because you could say it's different times for a lot of things that were inappropriate. More importantly, mm-hmm. as Cornette mentioned, because a lot of people, you know, Jim Cornette's about it, some people love him. Some people don't. So if you don't, uh, right. what he was talking about was the women were like and, and I and I don't want to say this in a negative way. They were they were like excited. They were like honored to be able to hang out with the guys. And, you know, uh, you know, if they had a quote unquote boyfriend in, in the town they lived in, that was a wrestler. You know, that was a huge honor. And and so, you know, not, nobody's taking advantage of anything. Nobody's asking that, pe- you know, people on Twitter to send naked pictures and stuff like that. It's, you know, these girls, right. you know, chasing you, like you said, in a car. So I, I just wanted to right. be clear because you got to really be clear. But it was a different time. And uh, and it's yes. interesting to talk about. And, you know, and now times are different. And, and, and I would say that's probably better. But um, but those fans kind of went away anyway. Uh, I remember uh, I, somebody who me I've told this story before, somebody who me and you both know. Uh, we used to go down to the hotel bar after uh, Night Show and Thunder. Right. And, um, all of a sudden had a drink and sitting with a friend who's a longtime wrestler and looked her. He looked around and he said, Penzer? All the guys are rats. I mean, all the rats are guys. Sorry, I got this. That's good. All the rats are guys. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, they, I, yeah, I, I don't know what turned them off to the business. Any idea what turned them off to the business? No, but I'll tell you this. You can judge a territory by the girls that came. Like in Kansas City, it was hard to make money there because there wasn't a whole lot of girls that came for whatever reason. And, uh, and uh, I don't know why. I don't know. I wasn't there when the change came. I I, I don't know exactly what happened, but you're kind of right. Where the you know uh, the guys. Well, the one thing about it is, and this is what they always did before. Look, if you got a bunch of gorgeous girls coming to the matches, you're gonna have a bunch of guys coming. I'm talking about fans. Exactly. Yeah. It's the place to pick up girls. Like what's the reason why they it's the reason why they have ladies night at the bars and they let them drink for free so the guys will pay exactly that's exactly right but uh, you know I don't know exactly what that why that turnaround was it just I I just and and you know when I watch wrestling today I don't know what it is but there's a there's a disconnection from what we did to the crowd to what's going on today in the crowd it's like I know they're there and I know they're stars but the connection to the to the audience isn't really there. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, they believed. And, and the reason they believed. Yeah, you know, yeah, but not I'm sure there were girls. I'm that. sure there were girls in every town, 37 yeah. nights in a row, crying when you guys were getting the hell kicked out. Yeah, of yeah, sh- yeah. And not only that, and they talked about it all week till we came back the next week. That was the thing. I'll sure. never forget. You know, you talked about you talked about believing. I'll never forget one time in Tulsa. Of course, this happened a lot. I, I remember the Midnight Express threw me out through the ropes. And when I was flying through the Sega rope, there was about a dozen guys jumping through it over top of me, attacking the Midnight Express in the rain. I mean, that's how it was. I mean, there was riots. Heck, I even, when I broke into business, I was in Monticello, Kentucky, and I got my arm broken in a riot, beat with chairs. There was only about 100 people there, but they picked the chairs up and started beating me with them. So, I mean, back then, there was riots. The people, you tell people that and they go, no. Oh, yeah. That's why they had the police walking us out to the ring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. Especially the hills, you know. Well, the, the people believed. Um, 
Yes, we did. Talk to me about Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Uh, you had a cup of coffee, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. We're tag team champions. Talk to me about that. Yes, yes. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, Jimmy had uh, was going to start that territory. The first, the first two shows that they did, which my son just told me the other day, Jim Cornette don't even have those shows. I and mean, I had them on on uh, three-quarter inch tape because they were my shows. I, I was promoting, and I said, Jimmy, I got Greenville, and I got Greenville, South Carolina at the Memorial Auditorium, and uh, another show, at, and I said, do your TVs there. So he, he started his company and stuff like that. I'll never forget, David. For some reason, we just couldn't draw. And I finally told Jimmy, I said, Jimmy, give me a, you know, give me a town, give me a town. Because I said, you got to promote. Of course, this was then, and, th- and this that was then, this is now. You know, years ago, they do posters and newspapers and stuff like that, some TV. Now it's social media and everything else. But I'll never forget, we drew like 1,200 people at the show out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, it was in Virginia. And but but I loved working in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. We also redid the barbed wire match there on the Fire on the Mountain, one of Jimmy's first big shows, and that was a barbed wire match where Bob Armstrong was a special referee against uh, Sweet Stan and uh, Doctor Tom and my brother and I. So we redid the barbed wire match, cage match there. It was a great place to work. Yeah, it, it was. It, it seems like a, it was fun, and it was probably the last of uh, the territory, or at least the Southern Territory. Yes, that's for sure. Um, yes, you, you mentioned a cup of coffee. You had a real quick cup of coffee with WWF in uh, June of '97. Talk to me about that yep. and how that came okay. about, and what the differences were with uh, WWF, WE from other territories that you had worked. Right, right, right. Well, you know, the first time I ever wrestled for the WWWF. I was about 17, 18 years old, and and it's on their it's on their uh, network now. Matches where I put over Pat Patterson, oh, wow. Fred Curry, all these guys. I used to go do the TVs when I was a young boy. Gorilla Monsoon would call, and uh, I went over there and did them on on the deal on the WWF WWF that me and Tommy did. Jim Cornette was up there, and he said, "I'm trying to convince Vince to use smaller guys." Is there any way that you come and do do it do a match? And he said, even if it was you, you and Tommy, because I was kind of out of business then. I had another business that was really really successful. And David, I didn't want to step out and shut my business down because you know how this wrestling business is. Yeah, you're the flavor of the month. Yeah, exactly. And for some reason then, and I had it going so good. I said, I'll tell you what, I'd love to come and help you out and do 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 what you want me to do, so the Vince can get a look at it. So that maybe he can start using the smaller guys because man, that WWF was a big man territory. They had mostly big, big guys. So me and Tommy went in there and had started a uh, tournament there. And I think Brian Christopher, Jerry Lawler's son, had came up, and uh, I can't remember who else. About about four of us, I think. And that's what that was. And it was great to get up there and see a lot of friends. I mean. Uh, you know, I knew Jim Ross from Mid-South days and everything and uh, and uh, a lot of the guys who had started and everything, but it was it was great. Like I said, I we just, I just was there for that for that taping. And a lot of people always ask that question. And I and I told and I, and I just have to explain it. We were only there. I was only there just to try to get Vince to use the smaller guys. Then after that, here come the smaller guys. So yeah. <laughs> something worked. 
<laughs> there you go. Hey, um, unfortunately, uh, we lost Tommy uh, back some time yeah. now. Uh, when was the last time that you guys? Ago. Yeah, when was the last time you guys saw each other before that? Did you guys ever do any conventions? We did a, we did a couple of conventions. We were going to do one more, and uh, it fell through. And we had talked on the phone and stuff like that because you know he was living in Hawaii, then. right? And everything like that. But uh, you know, the one thing that a lot of people ask me about how was how was the fantastic successful? One of it was me and Tommy as a team never thought of ourselves as a single. We considered the team at all times. That's why we tried to do always tag team moves and stuff like that and this and that. And uh, it was a tragedy on Tommy. And you know, at the beginning. Some people announced that he committed suicide, and that's uh, that's not true at all. He died the same way Jimi Hendrix died. He died the same way Mama Castelli had died. He, he you know, he uh, choked on uh, on uh, on some food, and uh, that's how he that's how he died. You know, and uh, but Tommy was a great athlete. He was great in the ring, and uh, you know, uh, just a phenomenal athlete. And a great tag team partner. Yeah, yeah. I remember you guys were in WCW when I first started coming and up, right. bringing guys I remember, up, to I remember. being a stooge and junkyard dog called me walking man. And uh, but you guys were always really, yep. really guys were I always really, that. always really cool. Two, you guys were two of the nicest uh, guys. And Thanks. you know, Thanks, there was man. a lot of people that wouldn't give you the time of day, but you always shook my hand and said, "How are you?" And 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 that stuff is appreciated for sure. Hey, before yeah. we wrap things up, just. Um, Getting back to the diagnosis, talk about uh, living in, uh, you, you know, you, uh, you you find out that you beat cancer, knock on wood. And but how is it uh, for you with this uh, uh, COVID-19? Do you have to be extra careful? Well, or are you OK? Yeah, I do. And, and I just want to say this. I, I haven't eaten, I haven't eaten food by mouth for five months. Oh, I'm wow. still on the feeding tube. And I hope July the 23rd. I'm going to go have a procedure to see if they can get some stuff fixed. But with the COVID-19, like, 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 I, like I said earlier, they had to nearly kill me to heal me. With that being said, all my immune system and everything's destroyed. So with this COVID-19, it's really put a hitch in my giddy up, even in my doctor visits and stuff like that, because they wouldn't even see you. They want to do everything by video and phone. Right. Well, that's nothing compared to being there. You know what I mean? But yes, I, I want to be real careful, and I got to take it serious, you know. Sure, sure. Well, hey, it was great talking to you. Love hearing the stories. And um, uh, any place where people could find you, if you, I, I, I don't think have you written a book? Everybody wrote a book. I'm, I, you know what? I'm, I'm, get, I'm, I'm in the process of it. There My you go. And I are doing it together. And uh, Jim Cornette has told me a few times, and this and that, and uh, I'm going, I'm going to finally do it. And I, I'm excited about it. And uh, I got a couple comic books. I got a couple comic books out. And uh, John Crowther, a real nice guy, who's put yeah, out know. for some of the boys. You know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. He put one out. And uh, and uh, I'm on, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, as you know. <laughs> and, yeah, I was gonna uh, say. I was gonna say, on. where can people harass you on Twitter? What's your Twitter handle? Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As long as they don't call me at three in the morning, I'm all right. But uh, <laughs> but hey, I'm gonna. As a matter of fact, October third and fourth, my son just told me I'm gonna be up in the New York area at a couple of different events. Oh, good. And not wrestling, of course, but doing some signings and meet and greets and things. So I still love getting out doing that. David, 
I've been in the business since I was 16 years old and I'll be 16 October the 4th. Wow. And it's hard. It's, it's the business never lets you go. Once you get, once you get a hold of you, as you well know, Ain't that right. <laughs> it's, it's just, it just keeps you. <laughs> Ain't that right. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. I went back up to impact. Uh, we did three days in Nashville where I did uh, various right. different things behind the scenes and also ring announced. And, uh, uh, I looked at Scott Demore, who's the executive vice president, longtime friend who right. booked, and I said, he said, you having fun? And I said, you know what, Scott, I'm home. And it wasn't so yes. much impact wrestling. It was the wrestling business. And just, you're right. It gets yes. you, it gets you and it never, it never loosens its grip at all. Yeah. And can I say one more thing? You can say anything it's you want. Because, because, because like, say, for example, if I run into Stan Hansen or somebody that I haven't seen in years, when we sat down, it's like we, and, and, and I'm sure you can say this too. Oh, absolutely. It's like there's been no time between us. No, it's, it's unbelievable. No between us. No, it's unbelievable. After WCW, when I stopped seeing a lot of the guys that I was pretty much were my road brothers, uh, right. I was sort of, you know, depressed and down, you know, because you get used to the stories and the, the camaraderie and stuff like that. But then right. I, I learned very quickly the same thing that that, that you're saying is, uh, you know, I wouldn't see a, you know, the, I, I, you know, I recently reconnected with Chris Jericho and um, uh, he was on right. the podcast. I sold a, a house for him because I'm a realtor. And, uh, and we probably hadn't talked. We text a couple times, but probably hadn't talked in seven, eight, ten years. And uh, we would text now and then. And I, you know, I saw him, and it was it, like you said, it was like you know, it was like the we just got done with a loop, and, uh, sure. and, and went home to, to change to 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 wash our clothes and come back. And that's what it feels like. It feels like you've been gone yes. for two or three days. Yes, it's it's amazing the magic of it, isn't it? It is amazing. Absolutely. And it's good. That's a good thing because that's one of the, you know, it's, you know, it's a grueling business. It's, it's grueling for everybody, but for, you know, for the wrestlers, yeah. obviously it's grueling mentally and physically. Uh, yeah. And, um, and so, you know, it's great that, that we have that, uh, that, that, that time that never seems to have existed then you could just go back to picking up things uh with your old friends like uh like like you're in the the old territory days back right. in the 80s and 90s so yes, it's really fun hey man it was great talking to you i am so glad that everything's working out for you knock on wood and uh you, please keep in touch and uh, i'd love to see you soon I and will. uh give you a big yes. hug but not until we get rid of this yes. crazy virus and get back to normal and that's the truth yes sir god bless you david and Continue much success with your podcast. I appreciate you letting me come on here and be a part of it. want to thank Bobby Fulton, one half of the Fantastics, as you can tell. Uh, super nice guy and uh, uh, so glad that he is uh, beating cancer and uh, just got to keep knocking on wood uh, for his continued health improvement. Uh, it's amazing that we can't, it's amazing that we, we, we can't go to work because uh, because there's a virus, but it's, we talked to so many uh, of the of the guys who have beaten stage two, stage three, even stage four cancer. I know Jeff Baldron, uh, who's a friend of mine and works with us on the uh, CWF Fan Fest, Legends Fan Fest, uh, which I hope we'll be able to get back to doing at some point. Uh, I know he just uh, beat 
stage three uh, lymphoma. So it's amazing what they can do with medicine today, but we can't get rid of this, this stupid virus. But that's a whole nother story. And and, and glad that uh, that he's doing well, because you never want to hear that, especially a guy like, like him, who's uh, super nice. Um, and just want to say, because I want to be clear, because I know how the mob works. I want to be clear. The conversation that we had was based on the workings of the wrestling business in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. It was where, and if you listen, if you haven't listened to Jim Cornette's podcast about this, whether you like him or you don't like him, I suggest maybe you just swallow your pride and listen to it because he he goes into detail. Uh, And it's important to note that what's going on right now with the speaking out movement and what went on back then are two totally different things. What went on back then was two adults doing consensual things that they wanted to do. And what's happening now, obviously, is there's people getting taken advantage of. There's people that say no and do, and there are guys that don't take no for an answer. That's absolutely a thousand percent unacceptable and does not belong in this business or any business. So I, I just want to be very clear with that. Uh, it, it, it would be a shame if because uh, of a few of, of, of a bunch of bad apples here in 2020 that we couldn't talk about how the business was back in, you know, the eighties and the territory days, because th- that was just part of the business and the stories are legendary. And, you know, so don't want to, 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 to cancel history just because uh, some bad things going on today. I'm glad that's being taken care of. And as I said last week, uh, respect and have huge admiration for the women that are participating in the speaking out movement in the wrestling business. I just wanted to make that clear. So I hope that uh, hope uh, we, we understand that and want to thank Bobby Fulton again. You can harass him on Twitter uh, or, or check him out on Facebook and um, and uh, talented guy, man. And uh, and want to thank him for coming on City Ringside next week on City Ringside. We are going to have Madison Rain. She is the current co-host of Impact Wrestling. And speak about the coronavirus changing somebody's life. Uh, she got thrown into that uh, that job because uh, she happens to be married to the commentator and nobody was traveling for the longest time. And still really nobody's traveling unless it's important. So we're going to talk to her about that. We're going to build up and talk about Slammiversary, which is one week from this Saturday night. And um and so we'll talk a little Impact Wrestling, a little TNA, a little uh, Josh Matthews, maybe a little um, uh, Slammiversary, uh, because uh, if the rumors are true, and they're just rumors, but if the rumors are true, uh, we've got a chance to change the, the current state of the business. And look, I'm not saying we're going to be running neck and neck with WWE or even uh, AEW for that matter, uh, but being a being a strong third does not hurt so um so uh we'll see we'll see what happens but uh there will be some big debuts uh some big names that will be coming in at slammiversary and starting with impact wrestling so it's looking like it's getting very interesting and if you used to be a tna fan or if you're just a wrestling fan if you're a fan of some of the talent that's being rumored to uh to be at the uh, Slammiversary show, um, formerly with WWE, that got let go uh, April 15th in the uh, mass uh, firings. 
then uh, you might want to check it out. And, uh, you know, there ain't nothing else to do these days for the most part. Uh, can't go to a bar, uh, which is fine. I get it. Uh, so anyway, join us next week. Madison Rain on City Ringside. And uh, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at David Penzer, all one word. If you don't subscribe to this podcast, please do. If you do and you know somebody who doesn't, please spread the word. Leave a review if you can. And I thank each and every one of you. Hope you enjoyed Bobby Fulton in this week's edition of City Ringside. Until next week, I'm David Penzer, still sitting ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry Petot, CEO of Radio Influence. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on any of our programming, or if you have some show ideas you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you take time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means more than you could ever know. Without you, the listener, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to all of our programming. You can find all of Radio Influence's programming on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.